0: I've been solo parenting, as my wife has been away since last Sunday, uh, and she gets back tomorrow, um, which is normally fine. You know, my wife, my wife is also a working professional, as many of you know. She's uh, full-time as the executive director of the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations, the network of communities that we are that our own congregation is a part of, um, but it was a little extra of a challenge this week because, along with the evacuations, came the canceling of schools. <laughs> so, it's one thing when I can try to at least hold one fort down here at the synagogue uh, because Gilad is in school all day and we have him in an afternoon program. But for most of this, or yeah, most of this week, he was out of school. And so, I was trying to juggle not only trying to get things done around here, but also. I'm um, trying to keep the kid alive <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, as least bored as possible. Um, but we did it. We're here. <laughs> we made it. Um, normally, as we go through the annual cycle of our readings, unless I have something kind of already burning within my neshama, within my soul, I usually, my default, if I'm not sure what else to do, I always default to the Torah portion. Um, and this week, I really wanted to do that because there's lots of really great stuff that we haven't even begun to delve into. Um, if you didn't see it, I was on a television program, an online program from a friend of mine, Rabbi Tzachi Shapira, and we were talking about all of the hidden gems of Messiah and all the messianic content hidden within what seems like such a heavy parsha, within such a heavy portion. Um, And there are so many of those points that I wanted to make this morning, but it's not what I felt led that I was supposed to speak on, and so I'm not going to. Instead, I would encourage you, visit our Facebook page, the Bethlehemunah Facebook page, or you can um, visit my Facebook page, uh, and you can watch that interview where we had a lot of fun uh, talking about this week's Torah portion. So instead of being kind of my default as the Torah portions this year, as we begin this new cycle through uh, the readings that I feel really led this year to go through the B'rit reading this year, which we're starting with Matthew. If you remember, last year we made a switch in the way that we choose the New Testament portions. Instead of just randomly choosing them uh, as the way that we think that they kind of connect to the the weekly Torah portion, we're actually following a specific cycle called Chaye Yeshua that was developed by Rabbi Dr. Jonathan Kaplan and Rabbi Dr. Mark Kinzer that instead of following the weekly Torah portion, it follows the holiday cycle, right? So as we were beginning, beginning with the first uh, of the portions last week, with creation and and incarnation we read from John 1, right? And what we're doing now is we're reading the beginning of Matthew because with this new process that we do, just like we read through the Torah every year, right, that through the Chaye Yeshua cycle that follows the the progression of the holidays, we read through all four Gospels every three years. Um, And so this year we're going to be going through all of the book of Matthew with some other... Readings thrown in, and so this morning we had a genealogy. Right, it begins uh, if you read in Greek, Biblos Geneseos, Yesu Christu Huwiu David Huwiu Abraham, or in Hebrew it reads told Todota Mashiach Yeshua Ben David Ben Abraham. That this is the genealogy of Yeshua the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Avraham. and Avraham was the father of Yitzchak, and Yitzchak was the father of Yaakov. And Yaakov was the father of Yehuda and his brothers. And it goes on. And it concludes And Yaakov was the father of Yosef, the husband of Miriam, from whom was born Yeshua, who was called the Messiah. And thus there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 generations from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. Why does Matthew immediately open his gospel with a genealogy? Go ahead and call it out. There's no. I'm just, come on, we're we're an interactive group usually. Okay, so to the Jew first. So somehow, like, it makes more sense that if, okay, what other possible reasons? So as like a connecting, right? Okay, what other possible reasons? Okay, Yeshua is the fulfillment of the promises to David and Abraham. What other possible answers? Establishing bloodline, okay. Right, right. But I mean, establishing that is not so important to the author because he assumes everybody else reading it is also Semitic. But that's true, like to establish, especially for us today, that there is a people that Yeshua comes from. In the back... Oh, right, right. Covenant. Okay, covenant, exactly. So believe it or not, the, the Bible uses genealogies very specifically, especially throughout the Torah. And they primarily do three things. It establishes a rootedness and connectedness, right? And especially that's what Matthew does, is just as it was said a moment ago, is it connects us all the way back that we're seeing that this is a continuation of the story. Maybe not... Uh, in time frame, right? It doesn't automatically pick up when the last book of the of the Tanakh is written, but it's a continuation of the story. It's connected to all of this story of our ancestors. It also provides a break. So every time you have a major narrative in the Bible, then you'll have a genealogy, and then another major narrative, and then a nice. Ge- so genealogies serve as bookends within the Bible, right? It closes one narrative and it begins another. Genealogies in the Bible are part of the narrative and are not meant to be an exact or literal in our modern understanding, right? When we think of genealogies, we expect them to be exact instead of understanding that there's a theological narrative purpose for the inclusion of the story. If you listen, listen to any oral people, right, tribal people, when they tell stories, who they tell in genealogies is important. It's not whether they intentionally... No, How do I want to phrase this? It's not about who they leave out or necessarily. It's not about that it's literal. And when I say literal, I don't mean historical. I mean it's not necessarily exact. What it means is that they're specifically including certain people in that narrative because those people are important, not necessarily that they got everybody in the line, right? And especially this is true with with Matthew because sometimes— The messages in the narratives are the, or the, the genealogies are their own narratives, right? A very good example of this is the table of nations in Genesis 10. Genesis 10, the way that it describes the 70 generations becomes then a blueprint for the way Jews interpret the world around them. So all the way into the New Testament, whenever you have the number 70, what does 70 re- represent? The nations, right? Because it's believed that, not literally whether there's 70, only 70 nations. We know that there are more than 70 different people groups, but the idea is that 70 represents the nations. This is why there are 70 bulls that are offered on Sukkot, so that Jews are interceding in our priestly role for all of the world, whether they know God or not. Matthew also uses his genealogy as a part of the narrative, as a midrashic tool to tell his story of Yeshua, For example, to get to the 14, 14, 14, let me ask you a question that probably is going to rattle some of your theologies. Do you think there were literally 14 generations between each of those major points? No, there weren't. So Matthew is doing something on purpose. Now, please don't, before you start throwing rocks at me, (laughs) I'm not saying that Matthew was incorrect, and I'm not saying that it's not historical, that it's not reliable. What I'm trying to tell you is that he's doing something that all tribal peoples do when they tell their histories. They're giving you the highlights of what is the most important for you to know. But they're also using that to tell the story. And the most important individuals are mentioned for establishing, number one, Yeshua's messianic credentials, right? Because we know that there are messianic prophecies throughout the Tanakh in which God makes a messianic promise to that person. So we have to include, and Matthew does, Avraham, Jacob, Yehuda, Jesse, David, and even Zerubbabel. But that also means in order to have nicely 14, 14, 14, which for example, Luke doesn't do in his genealogy, but that also means that he has to leave certain individuals out. So, for example, Matthew omits the king's Ahaziah, Joash, and Amaziah in order to have his 14, 14, 14. In the way that Matthew intentionally constructs his genealogy, he has to have an even 14, 14, 14. Why? Does anybody know? All right, so when often you see uh, the tablets, I think it is even on hours, Instead of numbers, it has letters, right? Then most people know that the Hebrew aleph bet is also represents numbers. So aleph is one, bet is two, gimel is three, dalet is four, dalet is four, all right? How do you spell the name David in Hebrew? Dalet, vav, dalet. So dalet is four. What is vav then? Aleph, bet, gimel, dalet. Hey, vav, six, and another dalet. What is four plus six plus four? Fourteen, David. So it's part of his midrashic telling of the narrative in which he's trying to emphasize that Yeshua is literally a descendant of King David, that he is a son of David. And this term, the son of David or the son of man, will appear over and over and over again within Matthew's gospel. And there's another theme besides the fact that Yeshua is the son of David and of Davidic descent and this greater David that was promised, what is another major theme that Matthew occupies? It's this idea that Yeshua is the greater Moses. So, he, so Matthew intentionally gives us a, a narrative of Yeshua which emphasizes how Yeshua is this, remember in Deuteronomy, Moses tells the people that a time will come where there'll be a prophet who is even greater than me, listen to him, right? And so what Matthew is establishing is Yeshua is this, not only the fulfillment of David, but it is, he is one like Moses, right? So you have all kinds of parallels, just as uh, the Jewish people were in the desert for 40 years, right? That Yeshua is in the desert for 40 days. He begins his ministry, you know, right at the beginnings by going up on a mountain. It's also interesting that Yeshua is not only parallels uh, Moses's story, right, as a lawgiver from the top of a mountain, it's also it's also Israel's experience. This is why some Jewish theologians have uh, called Yeshua one man, the one man Israel, right? That embodied in Yeshua is the experience of the Jewish people as a whole. So even as Israel as a whole does these things, Yeshua prefigures almost, or em- actually not prefigures, embodies these. Uh, same truths, right? So, what else is significant about David's genealogy? I mean, about Matthew's genealogy? There's actually so much here, and I wish we had time to go into it, but this is another interesting one. All right. This is one that's extremely striking. There are five women who are included in the genealogy. Very different from most genealogies in the Tanakh where women are not included. It's always the men, right? So-and-so who's a dude, begot so-and-so who's a dude, <laughs> who begot so-and-so, right? And very rarely are even female children even mentioned, let alone as parents. But Matthew mentions five. He mentions Tamar, Rachav, that's Rahab, Ruth, Sheva, although he just simply says the wife of Uriah. It's interesting that he doesn't say David's wife, says Uriah's wife. I think it's a little bit of a, uh, also kind of not a glossing over of King David. At the same time, Yeshua is this greater David, but at the same time kind of purposely also pointing out that this is why David himself wasn't the Mashiach. Not necessarily that he was already a candidate, but the other, then the last one is also Miriam, obviously three of, here's another thing that's interesting, three of these are not Jewish. Right. These are Gentile women that had a significant role on the Jewish people as a whole, that if it weren't for them, that we wouldn't have some of the most major figures in, in history. And the best example of that is Ruth. F- through Ruth came Oved. Who was Yishai? Who was the father of King David, one of the greatest Jews who ever lived? And it was through Ruth then that the Messiah comes. Why is this significant? I think remember that he's about to unfold the story of redemption, and that this redemption is not only open to men; it's not only open to Jews. It's open to the entire world, to Jews and Gentiles, and especially those Gentiles who are attached themselves to the Jewish people, to make an, a difference, to, to make an impact on the world by bringing the message of the God of Israel, not only to Israel, but to the world. I think that's a powerful message that Matthew is beginning with. That there's so many reasons in which he begins with a genealogy of highlighting the fact that we can trust that the message about Yeshua not only is true, but that it is rooted in Israel's experience. This isn't a new and separate thing. It is a continuation of the promises that God had already promised to us. It's a building, as John says, that this is the Torah, the Torah that's been made flesh and dwells among us. It's the living Torah. And Matthew emphasizing the fact that he is the son of David. He is the promise that a son of David would sit on the throne forever. And the fact that this is the one that Moses prophesied about, that he is the greater Moses, that he is the one who will lead not only Israel into the land of redemption, but into the kingdom of redemption. As we begin to go through this gospel of Matthew in the coming weeks and months and throughout this year, I want us to really embody two things. I want us to really use what we continue to learn through being rooted in the Torah to interpret the New Testament because that's what it's there for, right? (laughs) Not therefore as though then there's no more use for it, but meaning the entire thing is built upon another. And that the followers of Yeshua, all of these, for, remember, for the first 100 years, this was a Jewish movement. And what did they call themselves? Not what other people called themselves. What did they call themselves? The way. the way. The way of what? The way to practice Judaism. They saw that their way, through the teachings of their Messiah, was the way to practice Judaism. And even though about 40 or 50 years later, they begin to really welcome Uh, Gentiles into this movement, they just saw it as just another form of Judaism. And it took another few hundred years for really there to be this separation. And so it's important. Now, I recognize that despite whatever, you know, your theology, the reality is God used two vehicles in order to propel his people through history as sometimes as flawed as both of them were, right? That he used what we now know as the church to propel Yeshua believers through history and the form of Judaism that we have today in order to preserve and protect and propel the Jewish people through history. But a time will come when God will bring healing to what was originally supposed to be, right? A bringing back together of what I see see already beginning to happen, of Jews and Christians beginning to have a relationship which we haven't had for 1,800 years. That we're part of something that is both radical and prophetic. That we're the first fruits of a work that God is doing in order to bring Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Christians together in order to heal the world. that Christians have something the Jewish people need, Messiah, right? Understandings of the moving of the Holy Spirit in a way that maybe they don't completely understand. But yet we Jews have something that the church also needs to hear. The reason the genealogy is important is we need to return Yeshua back to his people. We, Yeshua needs to come home, back to Israel. That we need to understand and hold Yeshua up and exalt Yeshua. As Yeshua said, just like when we lift the Torah, if Yeshua is the living Torah, he said, if I would be exalted, draw all people unto me. And we have the responsibility to not only prepare the world for his return, but to bring Yeshua back home. And I think it's important that as we read the New Testament, that I mentioned there are two things I really want us to get out of it in this coming year. One is I want you to begin to read the New Testament through Jewish eyes if you're still not used to doing that. For some of this may may be a little old school, but I'm still, no matter how long I've been at this, every year, there's always something that blows me away just how Jewish the New Testament is. And even though I already know this stuff, I have degrees in this stuff, and yet there are things that will strike me that I think, gosh, this is so cool. This is so amazing. But the other thing that I want it to do, exactly. (laughs) But the other thing that I want it to do for us this year is it doesn't just enter here. It enters here that it really transforms us and changes us and really makes us more like Yeshua. That we would walk in his ways, that we would speak his words, that we would do his acts. This is why we so support and believe in a lot of the different things that we are committed to as a community. For example, helping hands. Yeshua says, you know, when you do these for the least of my people, right? For the least of these, you've done them for me. And there's so many other ways in which we need to be engaged in the world around us. And I'm so happy about receiving emails, for example, the last couple days from Dana, who's saying, hey, we need to be praying for this person and this person and this person because they've been evacuated or they're in an evacuation zone, but they haven't been evacuated yet for those who have taken people into their homes, not just once, but repeatedly. (laughs) It seems like the Moraleses and the miners are like the home, you know, although until Barbara and Hal were evacuated recently. So, but that's what being part of the kingdom is about. This is about what it means to be a community and a family. There's always room for improvement. Sure, we don't have this all figured out, but we need to be trying. We need to be doing the best that we can to follow in the ways of Yeshua, which means not just like I pick up my Bible and I read it, but it really means that I'm involved in each, that we're involved in each other's lives. That when Dana needs something, I'm there. When the tipples need something, one of you are there, like in vice versa, that we're there for one another. That's really why we're here is to be a family. That's one of the things that I think that Rabbi Steve and Ruth were, were so great at, like specifically of just building such a, a, a solid foundation for us as we transition between Rabbi Murray and myself. And it's one of the things that I'm deeply committed to and isn't something that you see in a mission statement necessarily, but it's something that I really believe in. Now, there are a couple things that I was talking to. Is Mel in here? Uh, yesterday, Mel and I... Um, we're schmoozing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was asking me, well, what is your vision? Like, what do you want to see for this next year, per se? And I said, I really have a passion for a couple of things. One is marriages, because I think we all need to strengthen, not just marriages, relationships in general. And I want to see us do things that you know, and and uh, that are going to strengthen relationships around here. I want to see us have a more solid foundation as a whole, as individuals, in the sense of a greater commitment. That's why we've been doing things like Torah Club and the Luke study that we've been doing, and other things to have a better grasp of of Scripture and foundations. But the other thing is really becoming more of a family that we're really involved and we're committed and we're. You know, we don't show up here. This isn't a show. We don't show up to be spectators. We come to worship God together. So, our Father and our King. As we begin a new year and as we're in a new cycle of readings, help this year to be something that is really, that really becomes ingrained within us. And for those of us who have maybe been followers of Yeshua for a long time, spark in something new within us to renew the passion and the love that we have for Yeshua. For those whose faith is a little dry and who have doubt, first of all, God, I pray that you would encourage people who doubt that doubting is not a sin, even though we're often um, look down upon for doubting. Instead, that we would be like the, De- the apostles who said, help my unbelief. Strengthen me, God, so that I can have faith. Faith that is deep, that is powerful, that is moving. God, I pray that you would do something deep within us, that this wouldn't be just another year, another cycle, another ritual but that we would ourselves become living Torahs, that we would become more Messiah-like in the way that we live out who we are in our faith and word and deed. Because I know, God, that you have great things in store for this community and through this community to reach the world. But it requires us to be more in touch with you, more in touch with one another, Thank you, God, for not only this wonderful history that Bethlehemunah has has been and is, but what is still yet to come. Because there's so much work that still needs to be done for the sake of the kingdom. As Chris mentioned during his homily, that we live in an age where it's sometimes harder to tell between right and wrong. But we need to be people who stand in the gap. We need to be those who bring peace and speak healing. That we are able to provide and nurture and encourage. There's already so much strife. Instead, that we would really be the people, God, that would embody the idea that you said that you would know my followers by the love that they have for one another. Very sadly, throughout most of history, believers have not been known for a whole lot of love. I pray that that would change, and it would change beginning with us and others, others who you have called. And even though there have been those people, those believers throughout history, that we would see it even more radical today. That as you call your people, as you bring unity, that we would get one step closer to the return of Messiah. Thank you, God. We pray all of this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Please rise with me.